apparently Canyon had a whole bunch of stuff stuck on that exact ship, or at least oh, really? blocked by the the Suez Canal. Oh shit! So their production's being impacted, like the semiconductor shortage. Um, not a huge impact for bike manufacturing, but yeah. everything else is getting fucked by that, like all the electronics. Um, supply chain is like the word of the year next to you're on mute. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And on today's episode, we've got uh, some topical discussions to make, I think, and a nice maybe lead into what's going on in the world news. Um, so the the topic that we're going to discuss is sustainability. So this will just be Michael and myself because um, we've had lots of fantastic fantastic guests recently. But I think uh, it was it was time that we just have a, a discussion about what's going on in the world. Um, but the sustainability comes up actually because of problems that a lot of people are having or a lot of companies and really the world is having right now with uh, with the supply chain issues due to COVID. And a great example is something like what has recently happened in the Suez Canal with having the shipping lanes blocked. And all of a sudden, international trade has come to a halt or a significant reduction. And this has created an interesting environment where basically people are looking at choices which benefit them in the short term, but ultimately lead to more sustainability as well. And that can include things along the lines of reusing existing product or buying used rather than buying new. Um, but it's been a huge shift, I think, in the last two years, as anyone who's tried to buy a bike would notice, uh, there has been huge demand changes. And it's great for the cycling industry, but it does make you think, like, what about all that waste that's being generated? What's happening to old bikes if they're being replaced? Um, so I think sustainability is something that many athletes and cyclists uh, probably identify fairly well with because we like to be outdoors. We like to enjoy pristine outdoors and don't want to run through, uh, well, if you're in Canada, discarded Tim Hortons cups. If you're <laughs> elsewhere, it could be discarded uh, Starbucks cups. But uh, yeah, definitely something I think we can all get behind. And it'd be great to shed some light on that. Yeah, absolutely. And as Andrew said, um, the the recent issues with with logistics and supply chain, and this isn't just the ever given, you know, <laughs> gumming up the works, as it were, in the Suez Canal. Uh, there have been supply chain issues, you know, before and will be since due to COVID and other other factors. And it's interesting to see how, you know, our capitalist markets respond to these issues. And as as he pointed out, of course, one of them is to leverage existing products, things that are already in the, um, you know, in the hands of consumers or in the hands of, uh, of manufacturers potentially through, the through some recycling or upcycling program in order to continue to operate. And uh, an excellent example of this is actually comes from a new sponsor of the show, which is an exciting announcement for us to make. And uh, I'll let Andrew make this one because it's kind of near and dear to his, uh, well, both home base and uh, what he does day to day. Absolutely. Yeah. So first of all, uh, we'd like to welcome Four Eyes On as an official sponsor. So as as many of you likely know, uh, Four Eyes does, uh, primarily focuses on power meters and heart rate monitors. 
Um, so we'll have a little bit of a, a spiel about it later. But uh, for now, the big sustainability issue um, or supply chain issue that we've been facing is there is no stock available in the cycling industry right now. So that means all of the Shimano cranks that we're trying to order are completely backordered and no one can get them. Everyone's been put on hold by Shimano and they're in the middle of a product refresh as well, which means their tooling is uh, expected to be down for a little while. Hmm. So it's just all these compounding issues. So we were, we were kind of, well, not just sitting around. Uh, we do more than that. But uh, what this has led to, though, is a little bit of a pivot. Um, and we were kind of saying, like, okay, what, what about the cranks? Like, how can, we, how can we get more cranks? So we were looking at other options. Um, and, no, like, everyone wants to have Shimano cranks. That's not a secret. There's the majority of the cranks that's out there are Shimano. They're a huge OE supplier. So... Where do the cranks exist? Well, it turns out most customers already have a crank. Or if you're buying a power meter, um, you're going to soon have a crank. Because like we said, there's no demand for single cranks. Uh, so just half the crank set. And it, it kind of dawned on us, why not try and buy these back from people? Why not turn them into our suppliers instead of uh, using Shimano as a supplier? Mm -hmm. So it can help drive this used market. And it's got a great sustainability uh, angle as well, because now we're taking things that would otherwise end up in the dump because they're not, or recycled, I guess. Uh, I would say more often they're thrown out, but um, they're not really used for anything else because single cranks aren't that valuable on their own. So we uh, were in the process of launching a buyback program, and this is currently, um, again, due to shipping, uh, as we kind of started this discussion with, this is only launched in North America, and we've sent it out to just a select number of people so far. But we will be making a wider announcement and wider launch. Uh, and I invite any listeners who have a, um, a crank who are currently in North America, and again, will be releasing to Europe and Asia soon, but uh, who have a crank that's just sitting there to go to our, our website, which is foureyes.com. So the number four and then iiii.com slash crank dash buyback. Uh, and that will basically let you submit your crank. Uh, so you send us a couple pictures, we do... Um, we'll send you the shipping label and then you just send it to us. And once it arrives, we'll send you a payment. Um, but this is our way of helping out the industry a little bit. There's obviously benefits for ourselves because we want to continue selling cranks to people, mm -hmm. but it's also been hugely frustrating for consumers because if you're having to put your name down on a huge waiting list to get any product, uh, it never feels like you're going to get anything. So we want to be able to serve the market and address these market demands right now. And we thought this is kind of a cool way to tie in, you know, something that's a huge passion of mine, sustainability, uh, with the uh, with the issues that we're having. So I th I thought it was a neat opportunity and a, a neat uh, a neat offering in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, I think it's a great way to do business, and I think it's a it's a really you know it it shows how how flexibility can can really you know kill two birds in this case. You can solve or partially solve your own supply problems as well as contribute to the sustainability of the industry. And listeners, just for context, for those of you who don't know this, because we probably haven't talked about this in, in some time, Andrew works for Four Eyes. So when he talks <laughs> about we, he's talking about the company who he represents professionally and, you know, who is now, as we, as we announced, uh, 
an official sponsor of the Endurance Innovation Podcast. But I think, Andrew, we haven't talked about the fact that you worked at Four Eyes since maybe our very earliest episode. So I That's just want to make point. sure that our, yeah. <laughs> our newer listeners are, are clued into that fact. Um, so let me ask you this. So what, what happens to the cranks once they get to, you know, once they get to four? So let's say you get, you know, a, an old beat up 9,000 series Durace crank that has seen its share of, uh, its share of use. Um, what are you going to do other than slap a power meter on it? Yeah. So there's a couple stages that we're, we're looking at right now, and this is still in the early level for, uh, or the early, early days in terms of the, the, the program. But uh, the two options that we're looking at are basically, we'll go through initial testing and verification to make sure, yes, the threads are in good shape and the spline's in good shape and there's no cracks or damage to it, which is obviously for safety an important thing. But um, especially non-drive side cranks from Shimano are basically bulletproof. So we don't really expect problems there. But uh, the two options would be that uh, ones that are in good shape, uh, we're going to clean up if they need it. um, And then sell it as a used power meter, uh, or not used, but used crank. Um, so that will allow us to put a discount on it. So if you're trying to get a power meter on a budget, you can get slightly more affordable than new. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, these end up being in pretty good shape because I think a lot of people, when they buy a bike, they immediately go out and buy a power meter. So sometimes you have brand new cranks that have literally zero time on them or very, very little training time on them. Um, so they come back in pretty good shape. The other option that we're looking at is uh, refinishing. So we'd basically clean off the um, the Shimano factory coating and then put a very strong, robust anodizing coating on it. Um, so it's not going to look 100% like the Shimano coating. It'll look similar. Uh, and to the casual observer, they won't notice anything. Um, but it allows us to take any of those cosmetic defects off. So again, nothing... Uh, that would actually affect safety or anything like that. But if you've got a scratch or you've got a chip in the paint or heel rub is common, um, I've personally never experienced this. So I was kind of surprised to find out it was such an issue. But a lot of people rub their heel, heels against the crank every rotation and they end up with these polished aluminum spots. <laughs> uh, yep. So that was, um, yeah, that's I think the number one thing that the, the used cranks come back with. However, it gives us the opportunity to uh, to have a very low environmental impact refinishing of them. And then all of the initial uh, energy that goes into the production of cranks doesn't have to be redone. And it allows us to get our product out there for people who either want to save a little bit of money or maybe they have some identification with the cause, with environmental cause, uh, and they'll, they'll get a payment. And, and we're looking at... Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a modest payment, so depending on the crank you have and the condition, it can be up to, to $45 US, um, <clears throat> which isn't terrible for something that's otherwise going to be collecting dust in your drawer, or a lot of people just throw them out of, or leave them at the bike shops. Um, but the other neat thing that we're pushing with this is actually a charitable angle. So there's a lot of people, especially when you get to higher-end bikes, who may not be motivated by $30 or $45. Um, but if we have the opportunity to... Uh, redirect your your payment that you would otherwise receive to a charity, then that's something that we also thought was a, a pretty cool feature. So you have the option of taking the money yourself, or you can redirect it to a charity that's local to us in Cochrane, or we've got another charity that they're associated with in the U.S. Uh, and that's uh, Two Wheel View is the name of the, the charity here, which focuses on getting underprivileged kids uh, some experience with bikes. And they nice. they have the opportunity to learn how to uh, maintain and work on it and learn some life skills around just tool usage and, and things like that, and possibly 
moving towards a career uh, in that industry. And then there's uh, basically a sister charity that they have in the U.S. that's Trips for Kids that uh, they take the um, they take the the donation and, and put it towards funding for children. So um, so it's, it's really cool to be able to support that. Uh, we're in very early days, but it's something that we're very passionate about. Uh, we want to. Well, I think everyone wants to make a difference in the community that they're from, but I think worldwide, um, it's a small drop in the bucket, I agree. But I think if every company starts thinking of some of these sustainability options, then together we can kind of make a difference. Mm-hmm. I love that story because uh, if if we drew a Venn diagram of sustainability and bicycles, this would be, you know, smack in the middle. Uh, I just have one quick follow-up just for, for clarity. Um, and I know the answer to this, but I just want to be, I, I want to communicate it clearly to the listeners. Uh, you're accepting both non-drive side crank arms as well as full crank sets with with both drive side, non-drive side and the, uh, the spider and the, you know, maybe chain rings attached to it. Uh, at the moment, we're just accepting non-drive side. So there's, oh, okay. yeah, there's a lot of challenges with rebuilding the drive side. Um, currently, we may expand the program to this. For now, it's just non-drive side. Um, so if you do have a full crank set, and uh, this isn't something we've really explored on a commercial level yet, but if you if you are interested in uh, submitting it to the program, uh, get in touch with us. Send us an email to our um, our support at foureyes.com email address or go on the website and uh, send a quick support email letting us know if, if that's something you're interested in. And we can, uh, we're definitely open to it. We can work around the system that we built up so far um, and, and we can make exceptions for that. But it's not a massive rollout so far. We're just focused hmm. on the, the non-drive side because that's the easiest and cheapest to ship. Um, for sure. The, the thing that we do start to run up against is if we're looking purely environmentally and from a cost standpoint, it gets very expensive to ship items. So, and this is one of the reasons we haven't rolled out in Europe or Asia is because getting it to Alberta, uh, especially if it's traveling through the Suez Canal, um, <laughs> it, uh, it can it can be expensive. Nice loop back. I like it. <laughs> especially these days when it has to go around the, the Cape of Good Hope. Yeah. Yeah. Long trip. That's a very long trip. Yeah, so it's yeah, it it gives us a chance to um to to minimize cost at least until we get some of the logistics worked out. And the program's in its infancy. We're not going to beat around the bush on that, but we just wanted to get it rolling sooner rather than later and start to make a difference as soon as we could. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, switching gears a little bit here, the, you know, I see a very robust uh secondary market for bicycles now. Um Maybe secondary market, you know, if there are economists listening to this, is not exactly the right term to use. But <laughs> it's it's not like bicycles are being used as you know as as non bicycles. But uh, what I mean rather is that there's a, a secondhand market, um, a very robust one that's that's cropped up probably everywhere, and uh, this is partially a response to to a lack of supply. You know, I speak with uh, with my friends in in the industry, in shops, and in on the OE side and uh, the, the kind of the, what I hear is pretty unanimous that 2021 is going to be a very uh, tight year for getting new bicycles. And so this, this secondary or secondhand marketplace has really cropped up. I mean, in Toronto where I'm based, it's always been fairly robust, but now it's kind of gone nuts where 
you know, pricing is completely out the window. <laughs> you've, you've, you've got people selling 10 year old bikes for what they bought them for 10 years ago sometimes. And usually they don't, they don't get away with that nonsense, but you can, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in a, if it's definitely a, a seller's market right now, if you have a, if you have anything with two wheels and a chain, you can sell it at for, for pretty good value. And, uh, I understand there are even some larger retailers that are getting into the game of, uh, of selling used bikes. You saw a story about this, right, Andrew? Yeah, so a shout out to Decathlon, which I believe is a French uh, kind of discount fitness chain. And they are starting to take in used bikes, still recondition them, tune them up, and then sell them. And I think that's that's another great pivot that uh, that a large company has made in terms of adapting to this ever-changing market and ever-changing condition that we're in. So it's, uh, it's nice to see that um, because I think that so many more people are getting interested and excited about cycling that uh, we we don't want to delay that that interest. We don't want to let it cool down. So the sooner we can get those people on a bike, the better for everything, really. Because if a lot of pe- these people are using them for commuting as well, I mean, there's another environmental aspect there. Is you, there's fewer cars on the road, there's less congestion, less pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's good all around. So yeah, huge kudos to Decathlon for starting a program like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, and also, you know, you, when there's a, on the one hand, anytime there's a, um, you know, a big corporation involved, you can sometimes question their motives. But uh, on the other hand, you can also, as a, as a buyer, feel a little bit, you know, more at ease buying a used bicycle than if you buy from some stranger on, on, on Kijiji or Facebook. Um, you know, you're pretty much stuck with it's it's uh, it's buyer beware. You're stuck with whatever mm-hmm. problems that bicycle has. But if you're buying it from a store, then uh, potentially there's some, you know, there's at least some accountability there that they've gone through the safety checks and uh, you may have some kind of warranty. So, yeah, it's I've heard of other smaller retailers looking at this too. Uh, some local Toronto folks that have uh, that have bought used stuff just because they're stuck for inventory you know so again it's it's market pressure that is forcing them to do this kind of stuff but at the end of the day they are um, you know taking taking items that would otherwise be landfill um, and giving people an opportunity to ride a bike that otherwise may not have had that which is a huge win I mean we've talked a little bit about this in the past but uh, the more people that we have, on our roads, riding bicycles means, you know, fewer cars and and more kind of maybe more acceptance, hopefully, for the bicycle as a valid means of transportation. And that's, I think that's a win all around. Yeah, absolutely. And when we look back at probably what a lot of people, or at least a lot of English speaking people learned in, in school was the three R's. So reduce, reuse and recycle. Uh, and that's always the order that, uh, that it's, it's, not advertised, uh, but uh, suggested in is is it's most important to reduce. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't do that, at least reuse what you're using, and then recycling is kind of because it's still a fairly energy intensive process. Uh, is the least favorable. Yeah. It's still good to do, but and it's most the, of the time it doesn't work at all. Like plastic recycling is 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 a giant scam. Apparently, like something like I I'm gonna I'm, don't don't quote me on this, listeners, but it's something like eighty percent of uh, some plastics are actually not recycled. You put them in the recycling, and even if your municipality accepts them, they end up in a landfill anyway because of mm-hmm. a whole number of things. And that's you know outside of our. Uh, kind of getting outside of our lane a little bit, but um, yeah, recycling. There's a reason why recycling is the last thing on the list. It is definitely the least efficient. I agree with Andrew. The least efficient of the of the three R's and the least, you know, has the the least uh, positive environmental impact. 
And, and looking at it from that perspective too, I think the reduce and reuse kind of happen at the same time where if you're buying a bike uh, and you can use it for commuting, you're also reducing your usage of other forms of transportation that rely directly on fossil mm -hmm. fuels. Totally. So, um, so I think that, uh, yeah, there's cycling. I mean, it's no surprise. Uh, it, it got a little bit of a reputation of being kind of the, the hippie thing where, you know, people would commute to, to work on bikes and, yeah, well, those were people being cheap or just uh, tree huggers, something like that. But it's becoming much more mainstream. And I think, well, given your traffic situation in Toronto, um, I think you can go a good deal faster on a bike uh, than you can in a car in a lot of cases. <laughs> I totally, especially if there are bike lanes. And Toronto, kudos to you, Toronto, for um, for doing a... You know, you can do more, so don't stop now. But uh, there's been, uh, you know, a really substantial expansion of, of cycling infrastructure in Toronto. And we had uh, Toronto City Councilor Brad Bradford on the show, uh, I want to say about six months ago, but again, COVID time warp. Um, and he talked about what, what's happening in the city and some of the challenges that, that we face here and what council and uh, cycling advocates are doing to promote cycling as a, as a viable means of transportation. And 100%, like in, uh, in rush hour traffic in Toronto, you're always faster on the bike. I mean, even if you're, you don't have to work very hard too. It's just because it's, although if you're in a car, you're kind of stuck. And if you're on a bike, you're, you're not stuck, you're going. So it's, uh, I totally agree there. So my little contribution to that comparison is actually, I think it was one of the first times I'd met you, Michael. Uh, I was coming back from X3 Studios, which is uh, a little bit east of the, the downtown core. And I ended up yep. underneath the Gardener, uh, which is pretty busy, but I was on, I think Lakeshore runs underneath it. That's right. And Lakeshore is basically a parking lot. Um, so I... I was comparing my speed compared to the world record marathon time uh, and who would have been leading. And it took me an hour and 45 minutes to catch up to uh, <laughs> what the marathon pace would be. <laughs> so I think in the first hour, I went less than five kilometers. Uh, wow. So, yeah. Um, and just to consider that people, people do this every day sitting in traffic idling. Um, now, I did have my Prius, so maybe a few green points there, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's still not a recommended practice for both your time, for your sanity and for environmental impact. So if you can, if you can bike, like it reduces the number of cars, which speeds up traffic, which unfortunately actually pushes more people back onto the roads, but, uh, it, it at least has some benefit there. So if more people can bike, at least in the, the good weather, then I think we'd be doing better all around. Yeah. Agreed. Um, let's get to the R, the last R of the three R's, that mm -hmm. recycling R, the one that I just railed against and said was not very effective. <laughs> it's not. I stand by what I said. But what is interesting to see is that there are companies cropping up that are finding a way to make recycling of really previously unrecyclable products profitable, you know. Um, so there's one outfit called TerraCycle that I want to highlight specifically. And um, they have partnerships with uh, with municipalities, I believe, but, mo but a lot with, um, with manufacturers of these unrecyclable goods. And they, they work out a way to then take these products and actually do something with them that doesn't, that diverts that, that waste stream from the landfill. Um, so specifically in the United States, sadly, this is not yet available in Canada. So <clears throat> TerraCycle, you know, help us out here. Uh, but in the United States, they have a partnership with Goo, um, the, obviously the, the very well-known nutrition brand out of the States. 
um, to recycle um, sport nutrition packaging, which is always like one of my biggest, you know, frustrations and irritations about our sport is just how much of that style of garbage we generate. Um, and I'll, I'll talk in a little bit about how I try to, you know, do my best to reduce how much garbage I generate. And then I, I also proselytize this to anyone who wants to listen to me, including you, because I'm going to do it later in the episode. Um, but what, uh, what TerraCycling and partnership with Goo is doing in the States is they're setting up these collection points. And I believe that they're targeting races, which is an excellent place, obviously, to target because, you know, races, we generate a lot of this waste. Um, and I believe some retailers um, have have these drop boxes too, where you can just take your, you know, your wrappers from your, or your goo foil packets, or the, you know, the wrappers from your energy bars or from, you know, any other variety of sport nutrition. And what's cool about this is reading through this, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, um, they will accept uh, this waste stream not only from uh, goo products, but from all energy, um, you know, sport nutrition products. So uh, that's a very, you know, kind of egalitarian way to do it, I think. So thanks, goo, to that for that. Uh, so this stuff, from what I understand, gets uh, gets shredded and gets used in uh, in some other products that that are then, you know some other consumer products. So it's not recycled in the traditional sense. Like it's not a, you know, a thermoplastic that can be melted and repelletized and made into something new, but the shredded material is used in some other manufacturing process. So it's probably quite energy intensive and it's, you know, not nearly as good as not generating the waste in the first place, as we talked about a little while earlier, but it is a, a way of diverting that waste stream from, from the landfill. And this is stuff. So um, aluminized plastic, which is what this stuff is, it does not biodegrade. It like it's basically you know it's it's when the human race dies out and the alien um, you know anthropologists or not anthropologists archaeologists uh, discover the earth after you know post humanity. And this is this is the kind of crap that they're gonna find as a remnant of uh, of our civilization is uh, is goo and uh, and other gel packets and figure and try to figure out what what the heck we were all about. So this is uh, this is a really cool program, and uh, I want to give uh, TerraCycle and Go a shout out for that. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely something everyone's noticed at races, um, especially well triathlons. Less so, I'd say in cycling races, but triathlons it's very very typical to see this. And most people do try and throw out their their waste, but it's still like it's it's basically the only thing people are throwing out at these races so you already have almost a pre-sorted source of this which is fantastic for efficiency of the the sorting mm-hmm. but uh, there are those people or those times when you have your your energy uh, gel and then you try to put it in a pocket and it slips out and that does happen it's not done on purpose um, and then there are those people who just choose to discard on, discard it so if you're listening shame on you but uh um, it's, it's something that you, you quite often see either dropped bottles or things like that on the side of a race course. And it is a little disappointing and it does show you that, uh, even something that could be seen as a green activity, uh, does have an environmental impact. But I think you get these super high concentrations, especially on run courses where people have these, uh, gels that they take and they can just toss them out at aid stations. Right. Um, so those, those garbage areas would be perfect as a starting point. Yeah. Agreed. Even the the very responsible racers, you know, the ones that that look for the garbage can and they they will, 
you know, they will shoot their threes and, and get their get their goo packets into right into the garbage can if that that's still, you know, that's still a landfilled um, waste product, right? So um, hopefully hopefully with this with these kind of products we'll we'll see that diversion but uh, as i mentioned earlier the best option is not to create the garbage in the first place so for for my own um sport nutrition i'm a big fan of liquid nutrition so i'll buy it still generates waste um if i wanted to be super clean i could make my own which i don't because i'm a little bit too lazy <laughs> but uh i will buy you know uh i use currently i use tailwind because it's uh it's a good product at a, at a, at a reasonable price. Um, and it just works for me. And, uh, I buy their biggest bags and then I will, you know, pre-mix my bottles from when I'm riding. And then I will carry extra in a, uh, a gel flask. So this is a reusable, usually five, four to five ounce, um, or like, you know, 120, 150 milliliter, um, container that is squeezable which i don't really use the squeezable part for this but i i know that my gel flasks which the ones i have come from hammer just because again they were cheap and cheerful Mm -hmm. um they hold exactly four scoops of tailwind just the way it works out so four scoops is you know 400 calories so i know exactly how much i'm putting into my bottles when i then refill my bottles in the you know, in a, in the middle of a ride in a, in the, in a race, I may behave a little bit differently, but for training rides, I find this to be incredibly simple and useful. Um, and then instead of gels, most of the time I'll, I'll be, I'll, I like maple syrup cause I, you know, it's got a pretty good sugar profile. Uh, obviously no sodium, um, for electrolytes, but there's other ways to fix that problem. So, um, rather than carrying gel packets, I'll usually have, again, using the same flasks, I will have uh, maple syrup, which, you know, kind of milliliter per, for milliliter, ounce for ounce is roughly equivalent to, you know, sport gels in terms of uh, energy density, you know, carb, carb quantity. So um, that's, that's how I try to reduce how much of this garbage I generate in the first place. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, anyone who will listen to me, I'll try to try to turn them on to maple syrup and to carrying their own, their own powder. It's also a lot cheaper. You know, if you think about, you know, maybe maybe Canadians get a little bit of a of a, of a break on maple syrup prices, but uh, I think I've done the math, and it's something like three times less expensive to buy to buy maple syrup in a, in a bottle in like a liter bottle than it is to buy you know even the cheapest gels. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, so as Canadians, we're well. First of all, it's so stereotypical <laughs> that you're pitching maple syrup as an alternative, but yep. uh, it's. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that's kind of a naturally occurring sugar. Um, again, another energy intensive process, but not nearly as much as most other manufacturing. Um, but in general, I think bulk nutrition is going to be less expensive than the packets anyway. So there's there's a cost benefit for you as a user as well. And that's why that was actually one of the first reasons I started to use, like I have those exact same hammer flasks that you do. Um, but uh, yeah, one of the first reasons I started doing that is just because I was cheap. <laughs> so, so there's benefits from that standpoint too. So I mean, you can help the environment and you can help yourself at the same time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. My my aha moment with this was um, when I was training for my first Ironman in uh, 2015. Uh, I can't remember who it was that suggested that I do this. It could have been uh, Tara Posnikov, who's been on the show a couple of times. Um, but it, the suggestion was at the end of a ride, at the end of like, you know, your stereotypical six hour ride, pull out, you know, empty your jersey pockets onto your counter. You know, hopefully you didn't, have, you didn't lose any uh, any of the 
the packaging from your sports nutrition and just take a photo. So you have a, a memento of, of how much you consume during the ride. And the whole point was not to make you feel bad about all the garbage you generated, but to give you um, a record of you, the sports nutrition you consume. So you could log it because, you know, obviously as, as a uh, long course endurance folks know, it's important to keep track of this kind of stuff on your long training efforts so that you can, you know, monitor and optimize it because that's of course key uh, in, in long distance racing. Uh, and so when I started doing this for my Ironman training, I was like, wow, that's a lot of garbage. Cause it was all, you know, it wasn't like I ate a gel and I would throw it out in a, in a basket and then I ate another one, throw it out in the next basket. It was all there at once and it was staring at me and giving me a guilt trip. So, um, that was my, yeah, that was my moment where I, where I realized that that's not a, for me, that was not a sustainable way to, uh, to do stuff. So this is kind of taking a little bit of a tangent, but uh, in terms of efficient use of what you're carrying, the concept I like using is kind of a super bottle for nutrition where you have a very densely mixed energy source. And then you can usually pick up water, you know, wherever you're going. So whether it's a fountain, if you happen to live somewhere that there's clean streams, you can use a filter bottle, something like that to at least access water that you don't have to carry around your whole ride or even if it's just a matter of stopping at someone's house maybe not recommended these days but uh pre-covid uh you could probably get some free water from someone and it just makes it a lot easier to train because you carry the things you can't provide or you can't find easily and then you pick up water along the way yeah that's a great way to do it too and a lot of sport nutrition will will allow you to mix very very concentrated solutions yeah that's uh that's a great way to go too the other shout out I wanted to give for this kind of program was actually not a sports nutrition company, but uh, Nespresso were kind of some of the pioneers, I'd say, for recycling these otherwise very esoteric, unreusable packaging systems. Uh, and I know Keurig got a lot of flack early on because theirs weren't very recyclable. Mm -hmm. But uh, and I think the I could be wrong on this, so apologies if I am, but uh, I think the Keurig founder or creator actually said he regretted inventing it because of how much waste it generated. Um, so you can get reusable baskets that you can put in it now for coffee, because I know a lot of cyclists also drink a lot of coffee. Um, so that lets you use grounds with the same machine. But Nespresso actually has a full recycling program, um, at least in Canada, uh, and they've done some pretty cool things with it. And they they were around, you know, for multiple years before sports nutrition started looking at this. So I just wanted to give them a shout out because credit where credit's due. They they had pioneered some of this, and they would actually provide you a little bag that you could put the discarded uh, coffee pods in, and that would include like a prepaid Canada Post or whatever shipping label. And you could send those back and they would be recycled or you could drop them off at a store, which again is slightly more efficient because you wouldn't have the individual shipping for each product to worry about. Uh, and there's a really cool pilot program that they did in Montreal where you could actually put it in your recycling bin and they would uh, sort it at the facility. So the normal recycling would pick it up. You'd have a, se a separate colored bag that was very distinct. They would pull them out and then they would actually send them along to Nespresso for full recycling. Um, so that's actually leveraging the infrastructure that's currently in place, which I think is a pretty cool system. Not sustainable if every manufacturer starts doing that. Um, not sustainable in terms of scalability. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you've got one or two that are doing that, especially high use uh, items like you know the, the Nespresso pods that you're using every day. Um, and I think in some of those um, in some of those programs, they've gotten up to 90% adherence to it, which is fantastic for recycling. And it takes away a lot of the issues with the recycling where um, the sorting of the different streams typically takes a lot of energy and there's a lot of missed 
product there. But when you have just a single manufacturer with a single style of item that you're getting, and this is very similar to what Goo and TerraCycle are doing, but uh, it just allows it to become much more efficient that way. So it's it's good to see lots of different people taking different takes on this kind of, uh, I want to say technology, but this kind of program. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be less generous than you are with uh, with these coffee pods. I think they're like, uh, you know, don't want to be too dramatic, but I think they're they're an invented problem, right? So they they came they up are, with a, yes. with an interesting solution to a problem that they that, that they themselves created. And you could say the same thing about goo, right? Um, but I think there's you know there's it's the the engineering problem of how you carry your sport nutrition with you when you're running or cycling. I think, you know, called for these foil packets and we can argue about ways to make that better. And I've hopefully presented one way. But as far as making coffee, those pods are completely unnecessary. So, you know, <laughs> I I don't drink a ton of coffee, but my partner drinks a lot. And and we have a coffee machine at home that, that you know, we you can get a grinder, you can buy whole beans and uh, you can buy them in bulk if you wanted to. You can grind them. It's really, you know, it's it's a little bit more work than your... Um, than than using one of those pods, but it is a completely manufactured problem um, that then you know this other company solved. So kudos to them for solving it. But it's a you know in my maybe rose colored glasses view of the world, it's a problem that did not need to exist in the first place. So I'm like I said, I'm gonna I'm not gonna give them as much of a benefit of the doubt that you that you gave them, Andrew. That's fair. That's that's a good point. Uh, and I think it goes back to capitalism, where people will buy things that are compelling to them as consumers, and you can't. Sometimes you can blame companies, but uh, it's ultimately the consumers that are buying the product. So it's uh, definitely I blame the companies. Either way, it's a manufactured problem, uh, <laughs> yes, and agreed. and the solutions that they've come up with um, could be applied to other areas. Uh, and again, the sports nutrition, yeah, manufactured problem, but uh, it could help to rectify some of those problems that we've created. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, what do you think? Good place to wrap up. Yeah, I think this was a good talk. Uh, it'd be interesting to get any feedback from our listeners, just in terms of what they think for sustainability or things that they uh, think we missed out on or other ideas that they have, because I think this is an area that lots of people can contribute knowledge and ideas. So just keeping that conversation going. I mean, we're you know small beans compared to the, the big companies, but uh, at least getting those ideas out there, uh, who knows what it could lead to. And obviously, I've got my influence at, at Four Eyes. So if, if there is a good suggestion or thoughts about even the crank buyback program there, um, then that would be great to hear it because we're, we're all ears. We would love to make this better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a good that's a good call out. And you know, despite the time, despite the fact that we're all living through a really, you know, <laughs> suboptimal time, not a very easy time for for many of us with uh, with the pandemic. Um, there's good evidence that that when there's such a massive disruption to the way things are done, um, that uh, there there's a lot of innovation and and better, more efficient ways of doing things that that uh, spring out of this, um, you know, this time when, when the normal is no longer possible, right? So Mm -hmm. when, when our patterns and our habits are disrupted to such a high degree, uh, humans are clever enough usually to find some, some interesting and often more efficient ways of doing things. There's some really fun studies that behavioral economists have done with this kind of stuff, um, to prove that that's the case. So yeah, there's, there's definitely opportunity to, to do better than what we're doing right now. And, uh, you know, maybe if there's a silver lining, that's, that's, that's one of them. Yeah, it's it's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So uh, with that, um, again, we we want to 
or I want to, to give another shout out to Four Eyes and just say thank you for coming on as a sponsor. And we'll have some more information about their specific products in the future uh, as that um, as that arrangement becomes more formal. So um, in the meantime, I would recommend everyone, if they don't have a power meter, check out our factory install program, uh, which is another environmentally friendly way of doing it because you send in your own crank and then get that back with a power meter attached instead of manufacturing a new crank. So yes, thank you very much to Four Eyes for supporting the show and thank you to you, our listeners, for continuing to support us by, well, by tuning in, by listening, by giving us ratings and reviews. Uh, I do want to take this opportunity to read one. This is from a listener, um, who Blake Slade was the tag, uh, who writes, I came to the party late and have been binging on EIP episodes every chance I get. I really appreciate the approach that Michael and Andrew have taken with this podcast. Researched, backed in depth, strongly recommended to any sport enthusiast. Thank you very much uh, for that, for those kind words, and um, continue, continue sending those in because they uh, they not only warm the cockles of our hearts, but uh, <laughs> and I actually have been I've been challenged on this, so I don't know if this is the case, but I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that <laughs> I'm gonna keep believing it until I'm totally proven otherwise. Uh, reviews and uh, five star ratings help us be, help us um, help other listeners discover the podcast and that mm-hmm. uh, that really helps us so we appreciate it when you when you do submit those yeah so thank you for your continued support and, and listening what's up are you just hanging out okay no i don't want to smell your finger get out of here <laughs> i'm not gonna do i'm not falling for that get out of here <laughs>